Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. This week we are looking at Pirkei Avot, Perek Aleph, Mishnah Yudbet, and we are focusing in on Hillel and Shammai, who say, Hillel says, be of the students of Aaron, Ohev Shalom, Verodev Shalom, Oheva Tabriot, Umikarvan the Torah, love peace and pursue peace, love all people and try to bring them closer to the Torah. And so, Akiva, I think the first thing we probably have to do is talk about defining peace. And what does that mean? Is peace always a good thing? Should there always be peace? Or is there a time, uh, a little bit like we talk about in, in Kohelet, where we say there's a time for peace and a time for war? So, Avi, I'm going to tackle this in a couple of different ways. I think that peace is obviously very important. And at the same time, there is a time that's appropriate for peace. And... You know, we never get to quote The Simpsons on this, but I'm going to because there's an episode where Homer's in the Navy and he's talking with some Navy admiral and Homer's trying to reach out and he wants the peas. And the admiral says, what do we want? Peas. And he says, well, how do we get it? And Homer says, with a knife. And he's balancing peas on the knife. And the admiral goes, that's right. And, you know, in this humorous nonsense, the fact is is that there are times where peace it comes at a cost, right? And we know that any, any country in the world has experienced, uh, I should say any inhabited country, has experienced where you need to get everything in line and under control, and not necessarily that it should be done through tyranny, through oppression, nothing like that. But the fact is, is that I can't really think of any country that is either developed or developing that has not needed or and does not have a military. And that's because sometimes it's necessary to maintain peace. I, I There are rules, right? But I think what this is getting into is, is the passive approach to life uh, doesn't work. And I will say on a microscopic level, that was a macroscopic answer by far, but on a microscopic level, there's a lot of people that I work with who struggle with this concept. They live a very passive life. People are always making decisions for them. People are always deciding what's going to happen next in their life. They are a passenger on the road of their own life in their own car. And it doesn't work. You cannot be a passenger. You cannot be completely passive. Does it mean that everything needs to be done your way and only your way? Absolutely not. That's where the peace part comes in. But in order to have a peaceful life, 
you still have to have an active role in your life. And passive, passivity does not work in completeness. You have to have a balance. And so when I hear this phrase, I, I think about the idea of, you know, we do want to strive for peace. Understanding that peace requires work and peace requires effort and you cannot achieve it without putting in the necessary work. Um, Avi, I'm going to throw it back to you, though, because, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is that they're commenting that you should be like our own loving peace. And one of the pieces that comes to my mind is the fact that our own kind of sort of watched while <laughs> B'nai Yisrael sinned the uh, Egel Zahav, right? He, he did his best, but really he didn't do his best. At least I don't think so. So maybe you can talk about how it is that we should be like Aaron being peaceful, because I would argue that he may have been peaceful to a fault. So that's a great question, and there's actually two perspectives on Aaron that I think we should look at and discuss. The first one, and I think this addresses your question specifically, is the idea that Aaron was part of a set of leaders, right? In the ideal, there is never one leader who can do everything. And so, while Moshe was the leader who sort of was the, the uh, I don't know if you're talking about a band, I guess he was the lead singer, so to speak, right? Aaron was... The, the guy in the back who kept the band together. And I think that when looking at him as a part of the set, that's a really important part to play, right? When you have a group of leaders, you need to have somebody who's going to say, now let's not fly off the handle. Let's calm down and think about this before we jump into any rash decisions, right? That's a really good thing to have in your group of decision makers, right? Somebody who goes out and says, I know you're upset with him or she's upset with you, but let's take some time and think about what's really important and the bigger goal amongst us, right? And so if you think about Aaron in terms of that, then I think the role he played was really important. Um, and having that role within a group of leaders, again, is something that is critical. And if you think about the people who you, um, who you work with, Right? Your, your, your bosses, or if you're one of the bosses, maybe it's part of your, your leadership team, then you think about, okay, so what roles do people play? Because if everybody is trying to be the alpha, then that can be really problematic. You need some people who can be betas. You need some people who can, who can play different roles within the organization, even within the leadership structure. The second thing I think we need to talk about is a little bit different, and that's the idea that there's a midrash that is often tied to this um, Mishnah, and it talks about how Aaron used to go to two people who were fighting, and he'd go to one, and he would say, so-and-so really wants to make up with you. And then he'd go to the other, and he'd say, so-and-so really wants to make up with you. And they'd say, really? Okay, then I guess we should meet and try and make up. And in this way, he would try to bring peace between people who were fighting. And 
while that's a nice sentiment, and some people try to pass it off as saying they really did want to make up in their hearts, really, Aaron was lying. And so one of the questions I'm going to put back to you, Akiva, is in the attempt to make peace, is it okay to lie? Is it ever okay to lie? Well, I would say it depends. I think that the idea that one is flat out lying is perhaps a very different idea than what we're talking about in this case. Because most people, if not all people, don't like to be angry. They don't like to have disagreements. They don't like to leave things unresolved and unsettled. We see all the time about people saying that they wish they would have gotten to resolve something or it's too late now and they regret it and what have you. I think that unresolved issues lead to regrets. And in that sense, the statement of these people want to stop being angry with each other is probably true. It may not be in the moment. It may not be to the T timing-wise accurate. But I do think that people do want to resolve their issues, and they want them to be settled. I can think of at least one, if not more, individuals that I've worked with where they've had family disputes, and they say, no, no, I want to be, I don't want to make up with them, I want to be angry, and then a couple months pass, and all of a sudden, and and sometimes it's years, right, because these are disputes and grudges that perhaps predate my working with them. But one get maybe one gets sick, and all of a sudden, hey, I need, to, I need to figure this out. I need to make amends. I need to resolve this. I don't want them to leave this earth with this issue and is still unresolved. Aaron might have just been working ahead of their pace. And there are times when I'm sure it backfired. I'm sure it backfires a lot because one of the things that I see when I'm working with people, even if I can say and see that they will not want to feel this way, when we're in the moment, when we're in the heat of the anger, we want to stay angry sometimes. It doesn't feel good, but at the same time it feels justified or we're vindicated in our anger and... We don't want it to go away. But that doesn't help anything. And so if Aaron's ability was to speed that along, even if he was only successful some of the time, I would say that that's an appropriate time. You know, we always talk about doctors taking the Hippocratic Oath. The truth is is that I think most people don't know what it says in the Hippocratic Oath because one of the things that it says is Not only will we do no harm, which, by the way, it specifically rules out surgery. So for all those surgeons out there, uh, it says, I will do no harm by the knife. So that's out. And it also says, not in the Hippocratic Oath, but Hippocrates himself was known to have said that it is appropriate to lie to your patients. If you know they can't get better, you should tell them they'll get better anyway. Uh... We've talked a lot about, not here, but we, in the grand scheme of the medical world, talk a lot about how people's desire to get better 
really makes a difference. If someone has that drive, that motivation to stay around, they can do amazing things. You hear all about these stories from oncologists where so-and-so was given three weeks to live, but they, six months, they needed to, they wanted to stick around for the birth of a grandchild or a great-grandchild. And by some miracle, by some miracle, I say, as a religious Jew, some miracle. We know what the miracle was. But suffice it to say, they stuck around. And we don't understand what's going on. But maybe that's what Hippocrates meant. Again, I think there are times when it's not appropriate to lie. And I think lying to your patients is probably not okay. I'm going to go with not okay. At the same time, I can understand where he was coming from in reading something like this in Pirkei Avod and understanding what everything is at the time. <clears throat> I, I'd like to move on to the second, or rather the third piece, I should say, because as usual, we have a three-parter, right? The first part is be among the disciples of Aaron, um, and we kind of talked about that, and then the loving and pursuing peace. We talked about that one. And then there's loving people and bringing them closer to the Torah. And uh, Avi, I'm going to toss this back in your direction. So Avi, here's the question. Rather than say that you know we're moving past one piece, because I do think they're related, maybe you can talk a little bit about... Uh, the religious exemption for serving in the military in Israel, because it seems like it fits well with this idea of, or at least this is the argument of, you know, I'm too close to Torah, so therefore I am a lover of peace and cannot serve. So I, I don't think the, the exemption for military service in Israel actually is tied directly to this piece. I don't think that those people are saying that they are lovers of peace and therefore don't want to fight in the army because they are against uh, fighting or military service. Rather, I think that the argument comes from the idea that they believe that whenever we have a fight, we as the Jewish people. We fight it in two levels. We fight it here on earth, and we fight it up in heaven. And that can be seen in examples where Moshe is holding his arms up, and the Jewish people are fighting, and when Moshe holds his arms up, right, they're winning, and when his arms come down, they start to lose. More times with Yoshua when Yoshua davens and the sun stays up all day so that they can they can continue fighting well into the what would normally be night. Um, and so there's this idea that we are fighting on two planes. And I think that these people are actually saying that what they are doing is tied to the health and well-being of the Jewish people as a whole, and by studying Torah, they are fighting on that higher plane of Shemayim. Now, there are those who might look at me with skepticism as I say that. Well, I just think there's a faster way to reach Shemayim if you want to pray to Sh if you want to fight the battle in Shemayim. Um, but it's not about being there yourself. It's about using the tools we have here 
to, to influence what happens there. And so to that end, um, they would argue that they are doing their part for the Jewish people and for the Israeli army and for it is only on their behalf that, or, or because of them, that there are, you know, that there is safety and that they are doing things on behalf of, of the entire Jewish people that only they are qualified to do. So, Avi, when I was in between college and medical school, one of the things that I did is I went on Volunteers for Israel, which was a wonderful program. It's three weeks, and we, uh, we, we went to a military base, and we did the stuff that the soldiers don't need to be doing, like kitchen work and in the armory and in just sorting things and organizing clothing and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, when I think of things that soldiers need to not be doing, I think that it applies more towards those things. Do we, do we have any thought of if, you know, there's the option of davening and doing non-physical military work? Because I just... And again, I, I don't say this to to be uh, offensive or, or negative in any way, but it's more of just a, I think if your argument is is that you're doing something that no one else can do, there might be other things that you could also do to be more helpful for your your the sake of your country. I think that it's an important aspect. So I think recently more and more of those types of programs have been happening where people who live in the Haredi community are doing things on behalf of those who are doing military service in Israel. I think there is also a tremendous amount that those in the Haredi community do for others in the Haredi community who need it. Um, they run gemachs and they, and they do chesed and there's tremendous amount. And, and I think some of that has begun to spill over into Israeli society as a whole which is also a plus. Um, I think that there is a general sense among those of us who live a Torah umada lifestyle, a, a lifestyle of Torah and work, or Torah and science, or Torah and, that, well, you should be able to have your cake and eat it too. And in fact, that's what Hezder Yeshivot were built on, was the idea that you could serve in the army and learn Torah, and that those two things, while it might take you a little bit longer, don't have to be mutually exclusive. So it's like working and being in Kolel. Correct. It's like working and being in Kolel or, or you know, making sure that you take, that you have a, a regular chavrusa or time to learn while you have a, a regular job as well. Avi, thank you for that, and I appreciate your expanding upon that idea because, I mean, I think it's important in both senses. And, you know, certainly I don't want to suggest that those who feel that they genuinely would not be uh, healthy or beneficial to serve, certainly that's not what we're talking about. Um, it's more so just making sure that those who really could be doing something else in addition aren't not pursuing that. People aren't just kind of saying, oh, let me just learn in the background. Um, maybe you can kind of 
expand upon that a little bit more. Do you think that there are people who, you know, they're just, their mission is is learning Torah and nothing else should come in the way of that? Is there is it an option to kind of focus on only those mitzvot and not the other ones? So I don't think that it's a question of focusing on those mitzvot and not the others. There's always a firm belief in both <clears throat> learning and doing. But I think there are people, right, call it the top 36, call it the top 50, call it the top 100 people in any given field who should be focused on learning, studying, researching, and doing, right? So whether it's your top cardiothoracic surgeon who's always pushing the boundaries to try and figure out well, how do we make the next great step into keeping people healthy or fixing heart problems or whatever it might be, um, or whether it's the next great rabbi who's publishing a book to help people better understand the learning that they are trying to do. I think that that has to be out there, right? That's what great research universities are about. That's what great yeshivot and, and, and places of learning are about. Um, so you do need those. And I think that even, even if you're not talking about people who are 18 who are quite at that level yet, um, I think by 18 you can begin to look at people and say, this is somebody who has that potential and you can start training them and working with them. Um, I think that, on the other hand, a large part of Haredi community has taken on the social norm of this is just what we do. And they are learning, but they're, they're not necessarily so serious about their learning. Um, and so that, you know, that in some ways makes me sad because they have tremendous opportunities for that, but if they're not taking advantage of it, then they should find what their real calling is. It sounds like you were a big fan of the book, The Giver. I have some real problems with the book, The Giver, and even at the end, we could talk about I think I understood the end of the book very differently than everybody else. Spoiler alert. No, I was going to say, but if you want to have that conversation with me, I think that's better held one-on-one. -on -one. Or on a different, or in a different uh, podcast, we can talk about The Giver. Stay tuned for next season, where we tackle The Giver and other literary classics. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding. For a question that I had thought of, but I can't remember anymore, so why don't, why don't we pause it while I can remember the question? We'll have to save this. Okay, I remembered.